You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. I just want to say thank you to our worship team. Wow. Wow. We could just we could just go home right now and be done. But I got a couple more things I want to share with you. And it's going to be a lot cheaper than $60,000. I don't know how that floated around for so long. But uh, this morning, I want to just wrap it up with the idea that you and I have what we need. You've got the look. You've got it right there in your eye. All you need to do is use it. All you need to do is extend it out and give it. See, because God has given every one of us everything we need to have not a good marriage, but a great marriage. And, and I want you to go home with that mindset that I've got the look. She's got the look. And it's, it's the look of love, but it's the look that we can do this and we can have an incredible marriage. And, and, I, and I really want to put this on your heart because it, it's something that's, that's on my heart a lot. And we see it. You and I share it. Our family members, our friends, we witness it. I witness it in the church. I witness it out of the church. And it never stops and it breaks my heart. And I wanted to break your heart when you hear the news about another couple that's coming undone. That's getting separated, that's getting divorced. And, 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 and I really believe that God can use you and me as an opportunity. And, and this is one of the things that breaks my heart is watching people make relationship decisions that undermine their relationships. What if they could back up and make other decisions? What if we could make decisions today that would change everything? Not just for us, but for people around us. See, because there is an alternative. And I, and I really want to encourage you today to, to let this break your heart. Hey, I want to be a difference maker. Like Jackie said in the introduction, let's change the world. But the only reason why that I'm, I'm here today in Christ is because I saw a great marriage. 35 years ago, I saw a great marriage, and I saw it for 10 years in my sister Carmen Bentley. And I watched their marriage. And I watched it in the beginning with cynicism, with criticism. But as I experienced more of my failures and looking around at the world and seeing how the world is messed up and doesn't know what it's doing, I said, I want that. And their marriage brought me to Christ. It wasn't a message, it wasn't a retreat, it wasn't a weekend, it was a marriage, it was a family that I said, I want that, I need that. And if Jesus is the answer to have that, I want Jesus too. And so that's why I'm here, and I believe you and I can be difference makers, but it needs to be something that breaks our heart. And, and another thing too that I've, I've seen for, for 35 years in the church, uh, being in ministry for 33 years, I've witnessed people make bad decisions because of the group that they're surrounded with. Even in the church. Even in the church. And I know we like the people that we hang with, but you have to make some choices. Are these people going to help me have a better marriage? Are these people, I know they're going to, we're going to have fun together and we like to hang and we like to laugh and, and, you know, we like to do a lot of things together and, you know, we're one of those couples that has fun. But at what cost? And you have to go home with your wife and ask the question, are we getting better because of this circle of friends that we have? Are we not? Are we going backwards? And I've seen that happen in the church. And so, you know, Proverbs 13 tells us whoever walks with the wise 
becomes wise. And this, this whole idea of walks with means who do you hang with? Who do you do life with? Who do you, who do you talk with on a day to day? And, and, and guys, you remember we talked about, we tend towards isolation. We need to do away with isolation. We need people in our lives. And we need to allow people to influence because those who hang around with fools, it's gonna, they're gonna suffer harm. And they don't have to suffer harm. They don't have to go through the suffering that they go through. They just need to make a decision. I'm going to walk with somebody else. So I want to talk about some, some myths. Because these myths, they permeate our society. And sometimes they can bleed into the church. They can bleed into our own mindset. We can, I, we can start thinking these myths. And so can I, I share with you two myths, and they're, 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 they're throughout the world. They permeate everything. Single people, they think this all the time. The media, they're just, they're just pouring it into our face, and we think these myths are true, and they're not. Once you unpack them, you go, wait a second. The first one is the right person myth. Once I read the, meet the right person, everything will be all right. I just got to find the right person. Single people are thinking this all the time. And, and all the platforms, uh, you know, Kinder, uh, Kindle and what is it? Tinder. Shows you how much I've, shows you how much I've been in the market, right? Tinder. Kindle's the reading app. I, I know that. But, you know, Match.com and all these platforms, they're always, they're always making you think, if I can just find the right person. Doesn't matter what I'm doing and who I am. Doesn't matter my bad habits, my insecurities. Because if I find the right person, they're going to make everything good. They're going to make me good. And all those addictions that I have, they're going to go away. They're just going to disappear because, see, I'm going to be with the right person. And, and, and then we find the right person. And then the right person becomes the wrong person. And then we go around and we say, I've got to find another right person. What if we change the narrative? What if we say, I want to be the right person. That the right person. And, and single people need to start thinking this. I, I don't need to focus on finding. I need to focus on being. Because if I'm being the right person, guess who's going to be attracted to me? The right person. And then, bam. And see... People spend so much time fantasizing about finding the right person. Nobody, nobody spends time fantasizing about becoming the right person. But I think we should. Especially coming away from this this marriage retreat. We need to start thinking about, hey, how can I become, again, the right person? Because I know I did some things right when I got first married because she loves me. And, and he loves me. And, and maybe ask the question, am I still the right person? And, and what do I need to work on so that I can still be the right person if we go into it? The, se- the second one is this, and this is the funniest one of them all. But doesn't, doesn't the, the right person myth just, it's stupid, isn't it? But it's everywhere. The second one is this, the promise myth. The promise myth goes like this. A a promise will replace the need for preparation. See, because all I really need, all I need is a promise and a party, and my marriage is going to be awesome. All I need is a vow and a ring and an expensive celebration, and then everything's going to be good. And we think if we promise our way into a marriage, we vow our way into a marriage, that it's going to be awesome. In the real world, does that work? On any platform, in any, in any, in any space, in, at your job, do you promise your boss, hey, I'm going to do a good job, and then you don't show up for work? <laughs> does that work? In school, you promise your professor, and you say, hey, professor, I'm gonna, I promise you I'm going to get an A on the next exam. If you'll wipe out the F, does the promise? You can't promise your way. On the football field, Gary, does it work? No. What team wins? The team that prepares. Preparation, 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 practice. But but you don't understand. Our coach, he gives the best 
locker room speeches of any coach out there, and I've heard a bunch of them, it doesn't matter. If you practice, you're going to win the game. If you prepare. But why won't we use that in marriage? And if you want to have a good marriage, Jerry said it, you got to practice. You got to show up. You got to prepare. You got to go to the book table and you got to say, hey, what can we study together and learn together so we can, we can raise our game? We can raise our level. Because there's, there's always something new to work on and grow on. But this whole idea, and this is what people think, and then look at this saying I do, saying I do, all it does is make you accountable. But if you're accountable and you're not capable, you're miserable. And couples do this a lot. They thought because they did all this, this, this preparation and this, this wedding and spent all this money that it's going to be incredible. But no, they just said, I do. And because they said, I do, they're now accountable. But they're not capable because they didn't prepare. They didn't take the time to prepare to have a great marriage. It happens over and over and over. But you and I can stand in the gap and say, hey, I know you're getting married, but have you done any preparation? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got the, the bridesmaid dresses and the, and the tuxedos and the, everything's all set. Yeah, 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 but, you know, have you done any preparation on your relationship? Have you done the talks? And, and we've done this many times as we lead people, we bait people into studying the Bible by saying, hey, we got these great premarital talks. It's called the word study. It's called, it's called discipleship. It's called the cross. Okay? We, we got it. And, and, go, and, and believe it or not, it has worked and changed lives. See, because really what it comes down to, if you want to be, have a great marriage, it comes down to following Jesus. Following Jesus. And I'm so thankful we, we have spent so much time this morning already lifting up the name of Jesus because following Jesus makes life better. Following Jesus makes marriage better. And in all the invitations, if you spend time reading the Gospels, Jesus never invited people in His invitation. He never invited people, hey, hey, I want you to pray, I want you to, pray to me. I, I want you to promise to me. I want you to invite me into your heart. He never said that. He never said... I want you to negotiate with me. Never said it. You know what he said? Follow me. Follow me. That's the invitation. You want to have a great marriage? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. You want to have a great intimate sex life? Follow Jesus. It works in every, you want to, you want to raise your children right? Follow Jesus. And so Jesus said it this way. And, and if you follow Jesus, He's going to lead you into in, in, relationships with integrity. Your relationships are going to have integrity. Because they're upright. They're honest. And they're real. They're not fake. Yeah, they have some, some spots where, and you see it in the apostles, they followed Jesus and did they have it all together for those first three years and then the years after that? No, but they kept on falling down and getting up and following Jesus. Falling down, getting up and following Jesus. And that's what this is all about. And as I shared with you yesterday, Laura and I don't have the perfect marriage. We're a work in progress. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep learning. And I believe if we stick to following Jesus... It's going to get even better, as Jerry shared with us. But Jesus' simple command is this. My command is love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus raised the bar. And for the Jewish community, the Israelites, they got this. They understood. Because Jesus was calling them to a higher love, a higher level of love. A sacrificial love. The, the Jewish people understood this better. It was the Gentile people. They didn't get this. It wasn't clear to them. So the Apostle Paul came along and he wanted to share with them 
a little bit more detail because there was this cultural divide between Gentiles and Israelites. And so Paul, being a, a, an Israelite, a Pharisee, but grew up in Tarsus, he understood the divide. And so what does Paul do? Paul breaks it down for us. Paul shows us the fine print. The fine print. And that's what we're going to look at today is the fine print of love me as I've loved you. What does that mean? Break it down for me, Paul. Now, I know you and I get a little uncomfortable with fine print because we think this is gotcha fine print. No. This isn't the gotcha fine print. This is the fine print that makes you fine. That's what she's going to say. My man, he's fine. Because you got the look. You got the look of Jesus. And you're loving me like no man has ever, ever loved me. That's what she's going to say, guys. I promise you, if you will get the fine print and you will follow the fine print. And so the Apostle Paul, what he did is his imperatives are are applications of Jesus' new command. He broke it down for us. And he, and he broke down one of the most incredible passages of Scripture about what is love. And so we're going to take the time. And I know we hear it and we wear it out in weddings and in different places. But we're going to unpack it. Because I feel like it's really important that you and I go away with a clear, clear indication of what it means. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's some, there's some sticky stuff in here for me when we really break it down. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the very famous this is love passage. This is Paul giving us the application of Jesus' command for a Gentile community. And he says this, love is patient. It's patient. What does is, what is patient mean? Patience is not pushy. Are you pushy? Are you pushy in your relationship? And, and love does this. Love is a decision to pause rather than to push. I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a minute because I love you. And I'm going to work with you, not at my speed, but at your speed. Love slows down. Patience slows down to go at the other person's speed. And why should we be patient at this level? Because that's what God does with us. What kind of speed do you think God is running at? Any idea? Maybe light speed? Can you run at light speed? I think it's even faster than light speed. But what does God do with us? He slows it down to our speed. To a Gentile, lost people who have no understanding of who God is and how He is. He slows it down. He accommodates. God accommodates to our capacity to get things. Jesus did that with His parables over and over again. He taught things in ways that people could understand. It was so simple. It was so simple that the Pharisees are like, Really? Farm animals? Seed? Really? Come on, Jesus. But the, the sinners, they were eating it up. Like, really? Is that all it is? I get it. I get the secrets of the kingdom of God. And this is what God does. Do we do this in our relationships? Do you get frustrated easily? Do you get impatient? Can I be honest with you guys? I get impatient. And you know what impatience is? It's not love. When I'm impatient with Laura, I'm not showing love towards her. Another one, love is kind, right after this. Love is kind. What, what is kindness? Kindness is, kindness is this, unkindness, and we see kindness is kind of weak. Men can see kind, well, I don't want to be kind. I want to be, I want to be a man. No, kindness, kindness is strength. It takes strength to be kind. Unkindness is weakness. When you're unkind, you're weak. See, because anybody can be unkind. Anybody can be mean. Anybody can be heartless. It takes somebody special to be kind. 
to gear it down and be kind. You know what? I'm going to be kind to my wife. What can I do to be kind? A kind word versus what I feel right now. Kindness is this. Kindness is loaning someone your strength and not reminding them of their weakness. And, and Laura and I can I, just be honest. We did this for a little while in our marriage. You know, it was kind of tit for tat. And, and, and I'm going to remind you of what you did wrong. And, and she would remind me of what I did wrong. And here we go. Is that kindness? In Romans chapter 6, I mean, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For at just the right time, when we were powerless. At just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus was kind. Jesus was kind. Jesus, Jesus stooped down like he did with the children and lifted us up. Lifted us up. I want you to remember the weakest point in your life when you were on the floor and you were breaking down. You felt hopeless. You felt there's no way out of this. I've got no future. This is not going to work. And Jesus stood in the gap and said, I got you. I got you. But that's what you and I need to do with each other is be kind. Where I'm strong, I'm going to loan you my strength. So that you can be strong in your weakness. And then in a marriage, guess what that does? It creates a compliment for each other. And you become stronger together. Because where she's weak, I'm strong. And where I'm, and this is, this has played out for many years in our ministry life, in our parenting life. There were times where, you know, and I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, but there were times in my parenting, man, I, I, I did what my dad did. And she would calm me down. She would get between my daughter and I. And just look at me. And said, I think you need a time out. <laughs> and I was weak. I got to admit it. I was weak. In those moments, I was weak. I was weak. And she became a strength for me. Are you doing that? Or are you nitpicking? Pointing out each other's weaknesses. We go on. Love is, does not envy. It, is, it does not boast. It's not, it's not proud. Uh, you know, these are some ugly things. Envy. Boasting. Being proud. They're ugly things. But ugly things come out because we got some ugliness inside of us. And, and, and this is what I'm, I'm coming to see about myself is if, if I'm, if I'm envious, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm boasting, if I'm, if I'm lifting myself up and not allowing others to have the, the prominent place, then something's not right with me. And, and, and if you don't feel good about yourself, it's hard to feel good about others. It's hard to let others have the spotlight when you're not feeling about good about yourself. And we need to get open about that in our marriage. You know what? I got some insecurity problems. That's why I won't let you in the, in the, in the environment where I'm saying, you know, hey, let's hear your story. Let's, let's hear about you. And look at Jesus. I want you to see Jesus in this moment when, when he had all the power to bring out the God card and never did. Jesus never used his God card for himself. He used the God card for who? For us. Look at this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He never used his equality with God. But rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He did what? He humbled himself. He took a knee for you and me. He humbled himself and became obedient to death and the worst death that man could come up with. 
crucifixion. He chose that point in time to come and die for our sins. And how does this translate into a marriage? Perfectly. If you want to have a great marriage, just do what Jesus did. You're, you're, you're the husband, right? And now I know what the Bible says. Doesn't the Bible say, and in, 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 in the Bible says that uh, husbands, you have the authority in the house. But what if you never use your authority card? I don't need it. Because Jesus taught me how to make others. And I'm never going to pull that card. Well, I make the final decision, honey. I got the power. Bible says it right here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Man, that's a powerful word. Submission. What, what if we change it around like Jesus and say, hey, I'm not going to use that card. I'm going to use the love card. I'm going to show you how much I love you because I'm going to sacrifice for you in our marriage. Let's move on. Love does not dishonor others. This is a word that we don't use a lot. Honor. In other cultures in the world, this, this, this word is very, very powerful. It's, love, it's honor and dishonor. But in our society today, we're, we're doing away with honor. Because if you honor anyone, if you honor anyone, you're disrespecting the other person. So there's no honor. Nobody gets honored in our society today. Except the wrong people. And I'll explain to you what I mean. But dishonor, it, it, it really has to do with putting other people down. Making people feel less. It's the opposite of I want to honor you. I want to dishonor you. I want to, I want to bring you down. I want to say words and do things and, 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 and show action to dishonor you. To disgrace you. And, and we know how to honor people. We know how to honor people because, can I, can I ask you, just get a little audience participation. If you could have lunch with a celebrity, sports figure, somebody that you admire, somebody that, man, I just wish I could have lunch with this person, who would it be? Okay, and it's okay, it's, it's cool to say. And don't be ultra-spiritual like some of my, my, my people in the past that said, oh, I would want to have lunch with Jesus. Oh, great, you know, bro, that's awesome. Sister, that's awesome. But somebody living today that you admire and that you respect, a celebrity, a sports figure, uh, uh, you know, somebody important that you'd like to have lunch. And it could be you and maybe a couple of your friends. And you could, it could be anybody. Who would you want to have lunch with? How about it? Prince? Prince? He's not alive anymore. <laughs> yes. Who? Oprah. You'd love to have said, okay, awesome, awesome. Oprah, anybody? Who? Tom Brady. Okay. The GOAT. Yes. John Elway. All right, now we're being real. How about it, Steve? Give it to me. Who do you want to have lunch with? Who? Mono? You're going to have to help me. Mono. All right. Yeah, next one. <laughs> Jordan Peterson. Bill Gates. Break it down. Yes. What? Clint Eastwood. That would be a good one. Yes, sisters. Yes. Together. You guys are going to... Okay, Michelle Obama. All right. All right. So let's use Michelle. Let's use Michelle. Michelle Obama. You're going to have lunch with Michelle. Okay. And this is how we see society today. This is about the only place it shows up is with celebrities. How would you show up at your lunch together? Because you guys would do it together, right? And maybe a couple other friends. You show up to have lunch with Michelle. How would you show up? Would you bring it? Yes? Alright, so, 
Would you get there on time? Early. Right? And then when she arrives at the table, you're there early. She arrives at the table. What would you do? Oh, you'd get up? Why would you get up for her? She's just a woman like you. Now, what if she showed up late? Like real late. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine this? She shows up late, 20 minutes late. And one of you, you stand up and you say, girl, I got things to do. Why are you late? Would you do that? And if she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm here late. You know what you would say? What would you say? It's okay. It's all right. It's Michelle Obama. All right. Now, you don't know Michelle Obama, right? You don't know her. And a lot of us don't know all these figures and people that we would love to have lunch with. But why would we treat them better than the people that we love? Why would we do that? Not, not just, I mean, we don't know her. She could be somebody else. We don't know, you know, we don't know Tom Brady. He could be somebody, you know, like ugly person on the side, you know, where you go moody, temperamental. But I know my. (laughs) But I know my wife. My wife. My wife is a beautiful person. And why can't we treat our spouses like we we know how to do this? We know how to honor people. So I want you to take this home and start honoring each other. Start putting those glasses on and saying, you know what? I'm going to see you as that person that I would want to have lunch with. And no matter what you do, it's okay. It's okay. Because I want to honor you. So I'm going to have uh, DK. Can you come up? Maui, can you guys come on up, please? We're going to illustrate this whole concept of honoring. And I'm going to have my wife. She's going to lead this, this exercise in how we honor each other. Okay. <clears throat> okay. It is amazing to be here this morning, this morning with you all. Uh, so in... As we talk about honor right now, I want to just briefly say, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, happy are they, for they will be called children of God. So in order to honor one another, we have to be great at making peace. Like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed, happy are the peacemakers. Uh, the Gottman Institute says that it should, when you have a conversation in order to honor each other, it should be like tossing, oops, <laughs> tossing or kicking around a soccer ball, but two people on the same team. So you have to have the idea that you're on the same team and that you have a problem, a mutual concern in your relationship. When would you do that? You would do that when you're angry, when you're emotional, when you're upset, or when you have a problem in your relationship. So they're going to first, DK and Maui, is it right, Maui, are going to do a bad example first of what you should not do, what is not honoring, and then they're going to give a good example of what you do when you are resolving a conflict to honor one another. I feel like you always spend too much money. (laughs) <laughs> well, you always try to control me. <laughs> Audience participants. <clears throat> you know, when you make decisions without including me, it just makes me feel insecure. Um, I feel disrespected when you try to control me. It causes a lot of fear. I'm sorry, and 
I want to be more considerate of you. <laughs> Great job, guys. Great job. Great job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So the point is, what did you notice? Did you notice a difference? The first thing is, the first statements were accusatory. You, you, you always, you never, you're a bad person, right? But the second one was, I feel. And I feel statements will, can save your marriage. Because I feel means you're expressing how you felt, but you're not accusing. For example, I feel sad when... I feel frustrated when, I feel disrespected when. If you say, I feel, it takes the pressure off the other person, and then you can have a healthier conversation. And I just want to give you a couple of points. Peter and, um, is, and I have used this sheet that you got. I know we get handouts and we go, ain't nobody got time for this handout. But, but... This is one of those handouts you want to keep on your fridge because we had a conflict. Thank you so much to DK and Maui. You did an awesome job, first of all. Thank you. Really awesome. Thank you. Um, we had a conflict. We had a conflict in our relationship. We were in gridlock. We could not figure it out. We got with an elder and his wife in the lighthouse, and she sat down with us with this sheet, and we both explained how we were feeling and what we saw, this shows you what are the unmet needs underneath that are causing the volcano above. So I want to encourage you, keep this handy. You can do it with kids, teens, mostly older, each other or teens. But if you share this together, you sit down, and as the person's sharing, you look at what needs are they repeating as they share. Or, and then once at the end of the conversation, Peter and I were able to be 100% resolved. I had to stop being negative, and Peter had to be a better listener was the conclusion. But, but it really worked, and, we were, and we've used that now. So I want to encourage you that it really does work. But this is really amazing that we can do this just by making small tweaks and small adjustments in our communication. We can have a victory and be able to repair and resolve. So it has been awesome to be with you, and we really, God loves you so much, and we love you. And remember, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called children of God. Thank you. I just want to say that I really love Peter a lot, and he's really very noble, and he's a gentleman, and he does, he washes dishes at home. He does all kinds of things. He's really, really a Christian outside and inside our home. So I'm really, really grateful. Love you. Thank you, DK, for bringing it home. Um, let's, let's keep moving. First Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. I, I want to share with you uh, openly that anger was an issue. Selfishness was, was something that defined my life before I became a Christian. Uh, it was my worst sin. I had a lot of other dark sins, but what was at the root of it, what was destroying all of my relationships, parents, friends, girlfriends, all of them, selfishness. So there was some deep surgery that needed to happen in my life. But anger is one that popped up when, you know, my daughter became a teenager. And it is probably one of the most difficult times in, in parents' life is when their kids are in their teens. But if you and I, and I, I look back at that time, and, I, you know, my daughter and I have had some great conversations because she's the one that pushed my buttons more than anybody else. But whose buttons are they? They're mine. They're my buttons. And I can control my buttons. Right? And I have control over my buttons. And so what, what Paul is telling us, and even this, this word here, uh, angered, the word angered really means, it, it's a cooking word, 
in its, in its origin, it means to stir the pot. You know, and you stir me up. You and, and, and where I was from is you, you're, you're, you're getting me riled up. Right. But what if what if we change things and we say, you know what, I'm going to leave the pot covered and I'm going to I'm going to absorb. I'm going to absorb versus react. I'm going to be like a sponge and I'm going to absorb your anger. And I'm not going to retaliate. It would be like DK up here again in Maui and she threw the ball hard at him and he just let it bounce off of him. Say, I'm sorry, honey, it's okay. I'm just going to absorb it. That's what love does. That's what real love does. Real love decides I'm going to absorb your anger or your your feelings and I'm not going to get angry about it. I'm going to absorb it. And one of the things that they, they've they've taught us in our in our in our program is is to use breathing techniques when you're feeling you're getting upset. Just breathe it out. And all that does is it, it floods your body with oxygen so you can control your reaction so you won't be impulsive. And then you can absorb. And this is one of the tools that I didn't have raising my teenage daughter. And it got bad. It got bad. And it's one of the greatest regrets that I have as a Christian parent minister is how I interacted with my daughter. And it got worse. She got diagnosed uh, with with a uh, a learning disorder, and as I was reading, you know about uh, you know attention deficit disorder, one of the challenges they have is they're very they're very impulsive and they have very strong feelings, and they need to be heard. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't listen. I reacted to her. And I thank God, I thank Jesus, I thank my daughter because covered over that. But it is one of the darkest moments. And I want to encourage you, what we do here in our marriage, it translates into parenting, it translates into their marriage, their life. And so we speak, and what we do is, is huge to the people around us. It keeps no record of wrong. Are you one of those people? That has a file cabinet. And when anything comes up, you get the file cabinet and you open it up. Oh, yeah, I got it right. I got it right here, right here in the file cabinet. November 3rd. This is what you said. And then you said it again in August 28th. Let me let me just say this. God is in it for you and me. He's in it to save the world. And God is not easily angered. Because if you didn't notice, this place hadn't been lit up with, with, with lightning and disasters. God is incredibly patient with all of us, with this world. He's not easily angered. And the amazing, most amazing thing about God is he lets go of the record. And that file cabinet that you and I have, it's about a mile long. But he doesn't keep it. He says, because of Jesus, I'm going to let it go. I'm letting you off. So let's do that with each other. Let's, let's, let's do away with the record. Starting today. You've got no record. And you can walk out of here clean and fresh and new. Both of you. Because that's what God does with us. Love is not about powering up. Love is about stepping down. And it takes great strength to step down. In this season of my life right now, I'm looking for ways to step out of leadership. And allow the next generation to come into leadership. And can I just be honest? There's an uneasiness with it. 
There's an uneasy. How are they going to do? Are they going to do a good job? Are they going to carry the load like I did? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And see, that, that's, that's ego right there. And we need to let that go. And say, you know what? I, I'm going to step down. And in a marriage, stepping down is so important. I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to be in control all the time. In fact, I really don't have that much control. He's got most of it. So let's, let's wrap it up. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the one that I love the most, love never fails. It never fails. It never gives up. Like we sang this morning. And this is how we need to decide this is going to be our marriage. This is going to define. This is the fine print that if you and I will do this, we will become fine. We will have a model marriage for the world around us. People on the outside, they have no idea what this is. They don't even understand this because they don't know Jesus. And you and I can reflect We can reflect the Son of God in our marriages. We can reflect the Son of God in our families. By just following these steps. And and, and living out the fine print in our marriage. And you know what? If we do all of these things, guess what happens to our marriage? Love becomes a safe place. Don't we want to be in a safe place? Don't we want to come home after a long day, after a long week, and be in a safe place? I feel safe here. You know how desperately children want a safe place? One of the problems in my program that I have in marriage and family therapy is we have to, and especially in the trauma program, is we have to study out horrific case studies. Horrific. Kids that have burned down whole apartment complex. An 11-year-old. In Oregon. The youngest child to be tried and found guilty of murder. He killed eight people by burning down an apartment building. But then you read... The story of how he was treated as a child. It's heartbreaking. What were people expecting him to do when you live with monsters who are supposed to be your caregivers? They experienced no safe place ever. It was a living, breathing horror movie. For a child. See, and this is where you and I can provide safety. The church needs to be a safe place where people can come in with all their stuff and and go, you know what? We're going to love you like Jesus did. And create these environments in our families where these kids, because now when I hear about these reports, where kids go out or, or these adults grow out and they shoot all these people. And you go, oh my God, what must have happened to this person? And there's so many stories, guys. And we have to read all of them. And it's just like, oh my gosh, the pain that is out there. Because Jesus is not among us. Or is he? Is he? And that's where the church is like no other power on the planet. But you have the power. You have the look. And you, and your marriage, and your family, and in your surroundings can create that safe place. And people will just they'll walk up to you. Hey, what are you doing? Can, can I talk to you about what you got? Because it's such a, a huge need. And, and, and in conclusion, 
And this is where we need to graduate. Paul said it this way at the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man or a woman, I put childhood, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What's Paul saying here? There came a point in time in my life where I had to grow up. I want to I wanna call you today to have grown-up love. Grown-up love. That you put the childish ways behind. The Mickey Mouse stuff that you've been struggling with, just leave it behind. Because this, the, the, the need in the world, the need in your family, the need in the, in the church is so great, we need grown-ups. We need grown-ups in marriage. Your kids need to see grown-ups. Not kids. But to do this, you need the Holy Spirit. I do anyway. I can't do this. That list we just looked at, I can't, I can't do it without praying together with my wife every day. I can't do it. It's not a rule. Okay? I got, I got to do it. Okay? The beginning of the day, middle of the day, end of the day, I got to do it at least once a day. And I got to have my times with God. Because I'm scared of who I will become. That old me, that childish me will come back. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Because the bar is high, guys. Jesus, Jesus did everything he did. Full of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's leave here today. And now that you know, now that you... Uh, and these, I'm going to leave you with some, some driving home questions. Uh, you can take a picture of this. Uh, but be careful. Be careful with these questions. And, and as Laura said, say, I feel I want to work on. Not you. Don't use you statements. Use I statements. And now that you know, I want you to walk outside later today. Whenever you leave, just look, look around and think of the words of this song that we're going to listen to. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.